welcome to the Dynasty Strategy Hub. I'm your host, Andrew Ferraro, here with my co-host, Dave Sanders. Um, this episode, we're really excited. We've got Travis May on. Dave, I uh, want you to introduce Travis and uh, get us started. Yep. So a lot of you probably know Travis, formerly with DLF and the Dynasty Life podcast. Uh, now he does a lot of content for Rotoviz, so NFL content, college football, Debbie, and general fantasy content. Also works with Dynasty Command Center as a podcast host and staff writer, and then also does some Titans contact for Music City Miracles. So Travis, welcome on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I, I kind of spread myself uh, around and spread myself thin there, <laughs> especially uh, heading into this this season. But it's been a blast just getting to know a lot of uh, great writers and great people along the way. So, but uh, and uh, guess guessing on podcasts is always fun. So glad to join you all and just talk about some dynasty NFL and college if you want to. Yes, yeah, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So. Looks like you had started, were you started writing first and then you moved over to podcasting as well? How do you get started there? Yeah, so I mean, I, I started way back with uh, the Fantasy Authority, uh, which they've kind of converted more into uh, mainly DFS content now, but uh, they were trying to diversify the time and, and add a little bit more of uh, Dynasty content. And so I dipped my toe in the waters with them. Uh, shortly thereafter, around the NFL draft time, they uh, asked me to host a, uh, a podcast for the site. And so started the Dynasty Live podcast with Justin McCasland and Andrew Frechette. And uh, that was a lot of fun. So um, kind of <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> kind of, I did a top 100 piece as a guest writer for uh, DLF. That's uh, Dynasty League Football. Um, and Ryan McDowell, who I guess you guys have already had on, he actually just, uh, he, he saw me posting about my top 100. And hey, he was like, hey, is, are you, is that done? Is that good to go? <laughs> I was like, yeah. And he was like, okay, let me check it out. We might just put it on DLF. And uh, so yeah, that, from then on, it just uh, kind of grew. And uh, it was a lot of fun now, now doing the podcast with uh, Curtis Patrick at uh, Dynasty Command Center, you know, doing the Rookie Guide series and a whole bunch of fun stuff. I know podcasting is something we've picked up recently. I really enjoy it because you get a kind of chance to talk things through uh, a lot more than 240 characters or pumping out uh, articles. So what do you find is the, you know, the kind of the best or the, and the worst aspects of kind of podcasting to get your content out? Hmm. Uh, well, the absolute worst part about anything that we do, uh, if you uh, do it well and you do it right, is probably podcast editing and, and production after the fact. Uh, that takes... Uh, more time than anyone would ever like to know, uh, especially if you're putting together a podcast that's like over an hour long in, in many cases, especially like pre-edit. So, uh, you know, it's, even if it's like a 50 minute show, the pre-edit is probably more like an hour and 20 because, uh, you know, you got before and after banter and, and then you've got all the, the things that you got to do with the audio files in terms of making sure all the audio, uh, you know, depending on how you do the recording on the front end, like if you all stream and have a local recording or if you're using some kind of host online it's, and everyone does it different. So like um, if you do editing for other podcasts, I, I learned, man, you got to learn the way they like it too. So, <laughs> so that's probably my least favorite part. Like having the, the, the finished product is a joy because you just get to see, man, we put a lot of effort into that and, and sounds great. Uh, we, we look great if there's video, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, of, it's, it's worth it. But at the same time, it's the editing part, uh, can, can be tasking. <laughs> yeah, I definitely understand that part of it. And I was going to say, I, <laughs> there's it's always, tough. there's always one of you that probably does most of the editing and, and you know, you know, I don't do much editing at all. So that's all on Dave. So I'm, <laughs> I know nothing about this editing problem you guys are having. <laughs> 
that's exactly. the trick, man. You just got to find somebody else who knows how to do it. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's dive into football a bit. So when scouting prospects, I know you do, you know, a lot of Debbie work and you're doing some college um, DFS, I guess, what are some traits you look for? Like what are some common traits you see among the best prospects, the ones you like the most? Uh, as far as like physical traits, I think that varies by position, but I think uh, really production uh, and specific types of production uh, lead to a stickier hit rate than just about any kind of physical trait, unless you're talking about like a, a balanced kind of spark profile for a running back mixed with draft capital. But um, I mean, when it comes to a prospect like a, a wide receiver, you're, you're looking for, you know, you're looking for a breakout age, you're looking for you're looking for, um, you know, a high dominator rating among other things like adjusted yard, yards per team pass attempt and things like that. There are different models that have been built that have been really, uh, really impressive. And, and, and especially in the past few years in terms of finding uh, meaningful uh, links between uh, certain types of production and uh, NFL futures that actually pan out. Uh, DJ Moore uh, was, was a poster boy for uh, a few different uh, production metrics, but when it comes to, to looking at um, scouting like the wide receiver position, I'd say just like when you actually break it down via the film, I, I'm looking for uh, somebody who um, doesn't just do one thing uh, for the most part. Uh, I found the, the, the players that are the better route runners are the players that can run more than three things. That's not to say that DK Metcalf can't hit and he already has done some good things. But it's good to see, like when Marquise Hollywood Brown, you know, runs 15 different route variations skillfully and gets open on all of them consistently uh, and does so over a large sample size. So if you're charting like an eight to 10 game sample size of, of a player, you can begin to see trends and you can begin to see that, wow, it doesn't really matter where he plugs in in the NFL. I think he could he could succeed. So uh, <clears throat> players like Marquise Hollywood Brown stick out because they're the, the, they add yak, they add uh, just something on every type of route. Uh, and he's just somebody that we, sh we all should have seen coming. Uh, and I think if a lot of people had really dug deeper, they would have seen somebody that was more than just that scrawny 160 pound guy that looks fast. Uh, I think a lot of people just doubted him just because, oh, well, somebody that frail hasn't really succeeded except for maybe DJX and maybe a couple other examples. But there was a lot more to his game than that. So I think looking at, uh, into the intricacies of, of the position and what, um, where they win and how they win is key. I'd agree 100%. Uh, thing I've kind of noticed is group thing, people tend to get lazy. Um, we got people got obsessed with DK's three cone drill because it's a number we can look at it and say, oh, it's not very good. Or like you talk with Hollywood, he's not the biggest guy. So, oh, we, we don't yeah. like him because he's, yeah. we're going to be down on always him because he weighs 106. It's always a little something and it's the, as we talked um, with Nick Whalen on our, our last one is, you know, it's the easy way out is to pick the little stuff up. That's why he's not good. But I know everybody has their hit or misses during evaluations. Has there ever been a miss that you had where you're like, Hey, I've really got to go back and reevaluate my process. Like how did I just miss this one? You know, either by a mile or Hey, what's wrong with my process? Um, I, I'd say that if anyone uh, looks at the 2016 class and doesn't have at least one player in that group. If they've been playing in Dynasty that long, they're lying to you. Because that whole that whole class was uh, just a hot mess. The, the running backs all missed except for except for Zeke, and then I guess Derrick Henry, uh, kind of at times. Um, and then you've got uh, like that was like the Laquan Treadwell, the, the Corey Coleman, the, the Josh Doxson. Uh, I mean, the, the list goes on, guys. It was it was a long, long list of guys that 
for a long time, people thought uh, they were going to work out. I mean, Laquan Treadwell for me, I, by the time it, it came to, and I had all the, the data and uh, the, that you could possibly know what to do with, uh, with Laquan, I was definitely fading him. I was fading really the whole class. I just didn't really like uh, much of anyone. I actually like Sterling Shepard higher than market. And that's kind of worked out. Okay. I guess <laughs> he's, he's when he's healthy, he's okay. Um, but uh, you know, I liked him as a late first, I guess that's, that's an okay. In, in that class, I was okay. But I think um, for a couple of years, really leading up to that class, we thought, Oh, Laquan Treadwell is the lock. So if you played in, in super nerdy Debbie leagues that, that owned Laquan Treadwell two years before he was in pros, um, there are a lot of people that uh, were really sore about that one because it looked like he was trending in the right direction with his production. He was, he was super young. He's always oh, got all this time to figure it out, but then he really didn't do anything. He didn't even, you know, hardly make the team <laughs> when, when it was all said and done. So um, just sad to see, I, I think that was, that was kind of a, it, it, <clears throat> I'm not saying that there was like a huge miss. I, I think it was just like, we, we held on to old information too long with him. Like, you know, he, he didn't answer all the questions we wanted him to um, in the two year span uh, leading up to his hype. And it just got out of control. I think it was a lot of group think just said, Oh yeah, he's got to be the top wide receiver because he's been that for two, two years and things we can get stuck that way. Yeah. I think anytime new information comes about, we have to add that into our evaluations. Um, what do you think about, you know, some of these players you mentioned are still on rosters in dynasty leagues, like Treadwell is still owned in some of my leagues. Do you think, are there any guys like that for you that have kind of been roster cloggers that you're on the fence with getting rid of? Because I think after, for me, it's like after two to maybe three years, I'm pretty much like trying to get rid of those guys at that point. And maybe some of them have end, end up hitting, but I'm thinking I'm better off cutting my losses and you know, using that roster spot elsewhere. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I haven't had, I think I held on to Kenneth Dixon way too long. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, I had one. Pre preach it. Preach yeah. it. I mean, the, the draft capital didn't hit and we probably should have just faded him immediately. But, you know, you, you have this uh, kind of pre-draft take and you hold on to those guys. Like, like I, I thankfully, Aaron Jones panned out. But, man, he would have been one of those guys that had he not, I would have hold on, held on for, for forever just because uh, I, I loved him so much pre-draft. I wrote up a whole, like, I'm pretty sure I wrote up, like, probably two over 2000 words on just Aaron Jones <laughs> in that draft season um, leading up to him being selected kind of later. But uh, there's always those guys that are hard to let go and those pre-draft takes, you just kind of have to adjust and, and that's, that can be really difficult. Switching gears to DFS a bit. So daily fantasy um, has your, you know, scouting Debbie background, I guess, helped you a little bit in college DFS. Looks like you're putting out a lot of content over at Rotoviz. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, just because I, I did Devi actually before I did college DFS, which I think is kind of backwards. I think most people uh, ease into DFS before they uh, nerd out and, and own players on rosters for three years without seeing any production. <laughs> I when mean, you say I, it like that, it sounds kind of sad, but you know. <laughs> uh, it is. It is incredibly sad. But I mean, that's why you, you got to have like college the Canton leagues where you actually have full college leagues side by side with NFL. And then when they graduate or go to the pros, they leave your college roster where they can, you can actually win a championship and then they're automatically on an NFL roster. So it combines college dynasty with NFL dynasty, which is just a whole nother level of nerd, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, that's, I mean, we, it's crazy. We have 50 college players and 50 NFL. It's just overkill wow. to the max, but yeah. So that, I think 
being that level of nerd definitely helped me uh, when uh, approaching DFS. But uh, I think uh, just what I do in a day-to-day role, some at, at work and building some models as far as forecasting and uh, kind of uh, looking at uh, some um, not not necessarily a common, um, uh, I guess, uh, model building for work. Uh, some of that has kind of found its way into my uh, DFS. And so I actually build a college football DFS model every single week for the main slate primarily. Uh, it takes a look at the 800 or so college football players and uh, pumps out some projections for them um, based on uh, five independent variables that I kind of gather throughout the season, all pretty much production and, you know, usage based. Uh, but it's been really fun. It's been, it's been pretty well. The player pool itself has done really well. Uh, the group of uh, us that have been kind of toying a lot with, uh, you know, throwing in some lineups and things, uh, it's been up and down. I think we had like the first five or six weeks, we just hit, 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 hit. And then we had a couple weeks that were down. The player pool still hit, but we just didn't put the right players together. You know, it's just the worst thing ever. But, uh, you know, it, it, it happens. But it's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's been really successful. Player pool always does well, about 90% hit rate plus. So, yeah, just that's what I've been diving into. And and really when you build projections for like, uh, you know, 800 college players every week, you, you tend to learn a little something about those players every single week. So that 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 makes me a, a better dynasty owner and better college football um, fantasy owner. And just uh, all around it, just you don't even have to think about it. Once the draft's here, it's like, oh, yeah, I already know the top 50 wide receivers, the top, you know. You don't have to think about it. It's quite impressive. Uh, just knowing, looking at, I find NFL DFS hard enough. Um, it's not quite my niche yet because it just requires a lot of dedication and time. But the fact that you can do 800 college players per week um, and really dive that deep is quite impressive because when we were talking about this uh, pre-show, I, I was like, oh, he does college DFS. I'm like, he does what? Uh, just, just a yeah, massive player pool. Is, yeah, well, it's not, you can bet on anything, but it's you start talking the, you know, there's a if you go on the 112 teams, that's well, that's 100 quarterbacks right there. You could possibly choose from. Now, granted, you can knock about 50, 60, 70 of them out right away, but it's it's quite impressive. So that's taking up a ton of your time. How many fantasy leagues do you actually play in? Uh, about 20 between all the different types that uh, I'm in. So. Yeah, that's too many. <laughs> but, not too many. Yeah, I'm not too far behind you there. Um, how many of those have a Debbie component or the college, you know, linked uh, to them? Let's see. Uh, I actually don't know. Six or seven, probably six or seven. And then there's six college leagues and then a few redrafts in there. But uh, I'm trying to wean it down to make it just pretty much everything that integrates some kind of college aspect into it somehow. Just I, I just have grown to love that aspect of it more. Um, there are 130 teams. And so there's just more stories, more uh, compelling, uh, fun players to root for than there are uh, in the NFL. Uh, both, I love both sides, but it's, it's just been a joy getting to know the college side even more so than I feel like I do the NFL. Yeah, I know I've gravitated towards more of that myself. And we just made a trade recently. It was in Kitchen Cinco, which is a Ryan McDowell league that has contracts. It's got Debbie. It's got pretty much everything you could possibly want. Um, but it allows you to kind of do some different things. So we're trying to contend. We bought Mark Ingram for you, traded Trey Sanders, Alabama five-star running back your way. Um, and that's a good deal that can be like mutual, mutually beneficial instead of us just sending, you know, a, you a third-round draft pick. You get somebody with, you know, huge upside down the road. 
So that can definitely you know make your leagues a bit more fun, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Just you can really plan not so much just for this year or maybe next year. I mean, like you can really set it up to kind of time it to where you have five or six studs coming out at the same time if you if you plan right. Which I mean, that's just a blast. You get I mean, and when you when they actually make it to the pros finally and they finally all these years later actually get you some fantasy points. It's just so gratifying. Like I've got like uh, a few old Juju Smith Schuster shares that have just absolutely panned out like that I owned after his freshman year on. It's just wow. like, ah, so it's just, it's cool all, all this time later. It's just to, to kind of see that come to fruition all these years later. Yeah, exactly. When you're doing uh, say a dynasty startup, what's your approach to that? Do you go mostly young? Do you skew somewhere in the middle? Or are you more like in a win now mode and then support later on with draft picks and Devi or what's your strategy going in there? <clears throat> I, you know, it, it really has uh, changed over the years. I think it it depends on uh, what strategy I'm I'm uh, ascribing to at that moment. <laughs> I found myself changing and adapting to uh, my league mates uh, more than anything. So if you know who you're playing with and you know their tendencies, which I, at some point you you get to know some of the guys that you're playing with and and a startup. If you know anything about them, you can kind of structure your strategy uh, based on your league mates. But if you don't always know uh, your league mates, I do definitely try to plan to uh, be competitive now with some older dying cheap options <laughs> uh, balanced out with, with some youth. Um, you, you have to have some balance because if you just go all pick heavy, all Debbie heavy, all, and then you have like three young studs, it's like cool. But if you miss on those other picks, if you miss on those young flyers that you're trying to take over the more proven 27 year olds, you're going to be disappointed for like the next three years as you try to instantly have to rebuild. So, I, I, as much as it, it is kind of a boring answer to say you have to be balanced, that's that's really what it's all about. Even in Debbie, I, I find people way overpaying in the startup for for Debbie cash or Debbie capital of, of some kind uh, when you can reacquire it later or reacquire the same players later. Uh, so I think um, recognizing whatever the premiums are uh, and taking advantage of that overvalue. <laughs> Uh, in the, the draft and just kind of building, uh, even building the core of your, your roster elsewhere. <laughs> um, and not, it's not necessarily avoiding premiums, uh, making sure you have one key player or two key players at a premium position, uh, but not overpaying and not reaching just because some position or some, some, uh, some something <laughs> is overvalued by your league mates. And I think it's just zigging when everyone else is zagging, uh, it allows you to find that balance if you do that just right. I think the key takeaway there's adaptability. Uh, we had Leo on uh, one one of our early episodes talking about this notebook. So knowing who you're playing and how, what their tendencies are is huge. Um, so it really does help. But like I think the adaptability really makes sense because if if you get, everybody goes in with a plan, but four mm. picks off the board, the plan shot. So you oh, got to be able to adapt and change. So. <laughs> I know yeah. some people say they kind of typically operate with like a three-year window in mind before they either, you know, ship off some of the older guys, try to get some new talent. Um, what kind of mindset do you typically go with? Do you go kind of a three-year window? I know Debbie aspects, you can kind of continually reload. Uh, what's, what's that window look like for you? I just, I want to win now. I do. Uh, if I can win now, I'm going to take it. Cause honestly, three years, three years ago, Travis had no idea where three years 
from then Travis, which is current Travis was going to be like, he had no idea, uh, you know, all the things that would, would change. And, you know, I didn't have a house three years ago. <laughs> you know, it's just like, uh, you know, it's just like three years from now I'll be 33 and I, you know, I might have a kid, you know, it's just, I, who knows? I, I want to win right now. Cause I, I love this game and I love that, that we get to nerd out and play it together. But I, I, I want to win today. I, I get building for the future and, and I'm always trying to do that. I'm not trying to mortgage away my, my, my future and my leagues. But if I think a trade makes me better today and it, and it costs me my 2021st, I hate to do it because, uh, you know, 2021st are still increasing in price. But if I think it makes my team better today and um, I don't believe that that, that pick's going to be locked in to make my team better uh, to and their chances to win this year and, and or next year at uh, much better. I'm probably gonna go make that trade. Uh, a lot of people are what they want to stack up picks, and that's cool. But a lot of those those picks miss anyway, uh, and all that capital that you invested to get those picks, it doesn't actually come to uh, any value. So I, I think um, more than anything, I know that it's really popular for everyone to to value uh, picks over players, but. Um, in the end, the hit rate on all picks uh, is generally disappointing outside of like the top three or four uh, in first rounds most years. I, I knew that 100%. Um, the price on 2021st is ridiculous. Uh, what you can get for that is only going to go up. So getting a proven stud over, you know, mid first is probably something that's 100% worth doing. Um, and everybody likes to win championships. It's kind of why we like, why we, why we play. If you're not into winning a championship, that's fine. I mean, there, there are a couple – like I do a couple of baseball leagues that there's a couple of guys I want. I'm probably not going to win a title. I, I realize that. But winning championships is kind of why we play. It's more exciting. Um, <laughs> kind of as we kind of head towards uh, wrapping up here, what's the worst trade you've ever made? Mm, I've got some good ones, I think. I've just got to think about what Ooh, the I like, I like when there's more of them. There, there are definitely some, some doozies. I, I, I think uh, back – uh, forgive me, I don't know the exact pieces, but um, I traded away uh, some significant uh, rookie picks in, uh, in order to acquire some Debbie picks. Uh, and I tried to get like Duke Williams, which I don't know if you know who that is. <laughs> I mean, he, he was in like the CFL for a sec and was on the Bills for like one moment this year. But um, I think back in 2013 or something, 2014 maybe, he um, – he was uh, still a big deal for Auburn, and I like I like I like Auburn. I thought he was going to hit. Turns out he was really super unathletic, was kind of a, a jerk, and had some some issues even in college. Uh, and that kind of fell, I just fell flat on my face. Really suffered uh, in that particular league. Gave up my like rookie first to to acquire him, and I think it was Pharaoh Cooper. <laughs> so like two wide receivers that I thought. You know, we're going to pan out back then. Uh, Duke Williams and Farrell Cooper, which for like basically like a, a first round pick uh, for the next year. And uh, I don't know. I don't care who that first round pick was the next year. Like that, that was a horrible deal. Um, but so that's one of the worst just because, I mean, I, I guarantee you, you're going to have listeners that don't know who Duke, Duke Williams is. But uh, yeah, not not a great uh, moment. Just, you know, and that's, and that's where I was reaching for the Debbie players. I was overvaluing the Debbie players. And I learned from that. Like, I mean, there's so much that can happen in college uh, between, I mean, even the players that we think are sure things like even 
like a recent example, uh, LaVisca Chanel, you know, for Colorado, like coming into this season, everyone thought like, oh, he's a lock for first round NFL draft capital. Well, I mean, he obviously the offense changed, things changed. I mean, he's already, you know, he struggled with injury again and his stock, his stock doesn't seem like he still could go early, but in, in a year where we thought he was going to explode even more. So he, he's kind of disappointed um, most of the year in terms of being this elite, elite stud uh, in college. And so I think uh, his draft capital, I've seen a couple of mocks that still believe he's going to be a back end first round pick, but you know, if, if you were in a Debbie startup this year, you were going to have to take him inside like the first five, six picks. Uh, and he's definitely not that now. Like he's, you know, in, in rookie drafts next year, he's probably going to be maybe uh, early second round value. And so you can lose value quickly when it comes to Debbie pieces and college players. So that's that's where I, I kind of stay away from uh, investing too heavily uh, in the future. That's my favorite question we ask all our guests because you get some great answers like that. We've all made bad trades. I've made some horrible ones. Um, but yeah, it definitely brings out some good stories in the long run. Um, Thanks again, Travis, for joining us. Wanted to talk about some things. What can we plug for you? What do you have upcoming that our listeners should check out? Sure. I, I am uh, working on getting a top 100 rookies piece out for uh, the 2020 class. Uh, in the fall, I just do offense. I kind of dig in and add a, a defensive um, aspect to it typically over the summer. So next summer there will be that. But right now, uh, working on the top 100 Definitely can check out the, the college football DFS piece I, I roll out every week for Rotoviz, but the Dynasty Command Center podcast is definitely a great place to uh, to just hear my voice and, and uh, hear, hear some takes from me and Curtis Patrick, uh, and really the whole Dynasty Command Center crew and like our, our premium. Uh, we've got a premium Slack channel. You can actually join and kind of hop in and learn from 150 other guys that are just uh, you know loving Dynasty fantasy football. Um, so got a channel for every type of fantasy football you, you play too. So it's just, a, it's become this little community uh, that I didn't even know existed until Curtis asked me to, to kind of hop in and help uh, head up the Debbie talk for the dynasty command crew. So that's been a lot of fun. So if people are, are interested, definitely check that out. It's uh, dynastycommandcenter.com. And yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's about it. All, all I got going on right now, but uh, not doing a ton of the Titans content. I was doing a whole bunch of preseason stuff, uh, uh, for Music City Miracles. But if you're a Titans fan, check out musiccitymiracles.com because they've got all sorts of good content all the time. They're the best, uh, best uh, I guess, Titans blog that I, I know of. So, But thanks again for having me on. It's been a, been a blast to kind of talk Dynasty and uh, remember how I got here, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have you back uh, as, as we get probably into the offseason because there's always more to talk about. So we do really appreciate you coming on. It's been really been really great it's always good to kind of get a behind the scenes look at some of the guys in the industry because uh you are quite popular out there and you do put out a lot of great content so we really do appreciate you being on i appreciate it guys thanks again if you haven't checked out some of our earlier episodes please go back and check them out episode one had ryan mcdowell of dlf episode two leo basiga i'm definitely off to a nice start here looking forward to getting back to a regular schedule and having on some of your favorites from the fantasy industry Please like, rate, and subscribe, and uh, can't wait to catch you on the next podcast. Game over.